0: Welcome back into the Cards Podcast. Mike Rutherford here with Danny Sinard. It's been a while since we've had to do one of these. Um, With there being no sports for six months, we haven't had to talk about a a Louisville loss in a long time and kind of readjusting our expectations. But here we are. uh, We're going to talk primarily today in this episode about the Cards loss to Miami from Saturday night. And Usually we do these reaction shows earlier in the week, or we want to do these reaction shows earlier in the week. But it's just been it's been kind of tough to to bounce back from this one. Cards, uh, I mean, not a huge shock that they lose this game. They did wind up being, I think, two-point underdogs by the time kickoff rolled around. Uh, I know I picked Miami to to win the game. Uh, you and, and Keith, Danny, kind of were a little bit more confident than I was. But I don't think anybody, any Louisville fan would have been shocked to find out that louisville was going to lose this game it was the way in which it happened which still has people a little bit uh, i don't know choked. so we're gonna get to all that good stuff before we do uh danny how are you i know you were at the river over the weekend you got really really drunk for a louisville game for the second time in as many weeks have you recovered from that uh, that outing?
1: yeah saturday uh we're down at barren river with uh uh So three other families, it was a, it was a good time. We had a great time. A lot of kids, um, you know, that are around our kids age. So it it made it a lot easier, but yeah, I was this sports weekend in general with, uh, Louisville, Miami, you had the U S open, um, you know, Obviously, me and you follow the Reds closely, so we had our eye on, on sports um, pretty much the whole weekend, and yeah, this one was it, w- it was tough to swallow. It's one of those losses to where after the game's over, um, I mean, there are some losses I like to analyze and maybe jump in Twitter and see what people are saying, but God, I just, I just felt really bad after the game, and it's one of those losses I didn't really want to revisit and just kind of wanted to get away from
0: it all. Yeah, let's say we can go a little inside baseball here and talk about the fact you and I both, you know, we're not all on the same page with all of our favorite teams, but on Saturday, we had a collective, like, all-time awful sports fan day. We were so excited about it going in. So Danny and I are in a, a fantasy golf league. where We're a, a team, and we alternate picking one golfer. I won't bore you with the details, but – we suck at it we're we're really bad there's 50 we league we're near the bottom but we had a chance to bounce back majors are worth double points in this league and if nothing else if you pick the winner and nobody else does you get money for that week so we would have made money we would have gotten our entry fee back at least we picked because we're so far back we picked patrick reed because we didn't think anybody else was going to have him we were right he's i mean on saturday he's legit leading at the turn on the third round of a major and by the end of the round, he's I think eight shots back of of, of uh, Wolf, and uh, ends up finishing like 15 shots back of Bryson DeChambeau. So that was awful. Louisville's getting its uh, its shit kicked in in the first half. I flip over at halftime just in time to see the Reds
2: give <laughs> back to back to back. I mean moonshots.
1: Yeah, they were <laughs> all bombs.
2: <laughs> it was I was like, okay, this is a fucking joke. Like it was unbelievable how bad the they got, how quickly it did. So we're kind of going back and forth. We're like, this is just a uh, this is an all-time moment. And then, of course, the Lions bounce back on Sunday with just a disastrous performance against the Packers for me. And then the Vikes. Did the Vikes win for you?
1: No. Vikes, they, <laughs> there's a chance they might not win four games this year. It's going to be a long year
2: for the Vikes. The worst thing about when Louisville's going through a rough patch or a rough season football or basketball is that I have to turn to my pro sports team, and I'm like, at least I've got the Lions and the Reds. Like, what? Where- <laughs> Nothing. Like, like The individual tennis players and the golfers that I cheer for are now all getting old. Like they're not good. If the cards aren't carrying, pretty rough. And I know you're kind of in the same boat.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, all in all, I mean, we texted the whole day. I mean, the Friday night excitement we had, we're like, what a day on Saturday. This is going to be <laughs> fantastic. Game day, like, biggest game for the Reds is. Years Patrick Reed leading, and then by like Saturday night, like we were like, okay, I'm absolutely hammered. This is miserable.
2: So, like, we sold our souls. I mean, nobody likes Patrick, Reed. An awful human. Sold our souls to go with Patrick Reed because we're like, well, we don't think anybody else will have him. And out of the he probably has the best chance. So, like, we just completely you know, give our sports souls away to root for this guy for 72 hours, and he, of course, completely lets us down. The unraveling was, was quick and extreme. Speaking of game day, did you? I know you, you were at the river. Did you have a chance to watch the show at all Saturday morning?
1: Um, I, I walked in on it a couple times. I honestly didn't really sit down to 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 watch it too much. From from what I gathered, it sounded like the uh, the analysts were. Kind of admitting that they were there because there wasn't any other big games on the docket, which I mean is a little disappointing, but I I do kind of understand it. But I didn't get to really watch too much of it, it was almost condescending,
0: like because everybody knows why you're in Louisville, like everybody knows it was supposed to be Alabama Georgia week, or I think Michigan was supposed to have a big game where they maybe noted I don't even know who they were supposed to play. But like the whole first of all, it was a big 10 infomercial, they spent out of that three hours of talking, they probably spent two hours and 15 minutes talking about the Big Ten coming back. And it was just kind of like they were patting this game on the head and calling it cute the entire time. It was just kind of annoying. And also, I know we gave a shout out to our guy Chris Abel for making the dumpster dance, says go uh sign. Yep. Was not featured prominently on the show. I don't know who to call out for that. I don't know if it's Lottie Stockwell, if it, if it is. I'm calling you out, Lottie. We could have had that featured way more prominently. Would have appreciated that. So that was kind of a buzzkill for me. The whole the day got off on a bad foot. And then we had, I, I guess, the most controversial moment of the show. Bill Murray winds up being the
2: game day guest picker, which we all love Bill Murray. But we probably could have had somebody more closely tied to the university. I know for a fact that UofL presented the, the game day crew, the ESPN crew, with Donovan Mitchell on a platter, I know that was their recommendation. They they hooked that whole thing up. And game day said we'd rather go the uh, the Bill Murray route here. And Murray, be honest, we love having him as a fan. I don't think he can name two players in the team, And every time he shows up at a game, we lose. So kind of a a, a negative on. I don't know. It just kind of the the whole day got started, and then the game started didn't go very well, but. You've made mention of it, and I totally agree with this. It's not really a difficult game to talk about, to break down. I mean, the offense was good. Malik Cunningham, who's now back to Malik. He's not Mikhail anymore. He struggled a little bit early on but was was good in the second half. He certainly was good enough. Javian Hawkins is awesome. People that we knew were awesome, they're awesome. And the defense... Wasn't good for most of the game, but they were good enough for most of the game outside of three play It's the three broken plays that completely changed the tide of the game. And I know Keith Wynn broke down the stats on 57 defensive plays. Louisville gave up an average of 5.05 yards per play, and then on three plays they gave up an average of 55.6. Yeah. So Those three plays really just completely changed the game. without my the entire time, but just give me—I know we're all a little bit more down today. Going into the weekend, but how much is this your overall view of the season and your overall view of the game? Um, I would,
1: I wouldn't, I honestly, even though the final score and, and kind of the way the game played out, to where, um, you know, the game was almost over, you know, at the beginning of the fourth quarter, it seemed like, and Miami pretty much controlled the game. I don't think it it really affects my outlook for the season. I I still think offensively um you know we're going to be fine I, I actually thought they played decent offensively there were some third downs that they missed um we had not a lot of penalties but just some penalties at bad times that really kind of set us back um a little bit but man i mean the defense that was very disappointing you know were we outclassed i, I mean I, I from just from the eye test i i i have a hard time admitting that You know, we're on the same playing field as Miami as far as athletes and talent. Um, So obviously it seems like we need to hit the recruiting trail, which, you know, I I know the coaches um, are doing at the moment, but to not, you know, be lined up correctly on defense or to give up these big plays, especially, you know, after scoring twice the first year, I I understand it. You know, you're in a new defensive um, scheme and stuff like that happens, but to have it th- th- be the second year and we have a lot of these same guys back, there's no excuse for that. That's that's Brian Van Gorder shit. Um, it, it's just something that really pissed me off and it kind of stuck in my craw pretty much the whole night. So they obviously need to get that fixed. Um, I, you know, obviously Satterfield addressing his press conference, he said, "Hey, if they if we line up correctly and they beat us, they beat us. Um, but we can't, you know, uh, be giving up these big plays by either giving up the edge or not being lined up correctly. You know." whatever it is, but that was very disappointing to me.
0: I think it's where all Louisville fans are. I think it's it's one thing to use Satterfield's quote, if you line up against those guys and they're just better than you for four quarters, which, I mean, if you take those plays away, does Miami still probably win the game? It seems likely, but it would have been much closer for sure. But the fact that it, it looked like 2018 and it looked like 2017 where we're just – not covering dudes like that was the if you wanted to look at one thing from the defense last year and say this is encouraging this is a sign that it's going to be better moving forward I think you looked at the fact that more like basically the entire season you didn't have those types of gigantic broken plays you had bad coverage you had bad tackling but that stuff is fixable with with better players and and a uh, a solid system and continuity within the defensive coaching staff this was it felt like a throwback to those the, the Brian Van Gorder and the you know, sermon years and and even a little bit of the, the late Grantham years when he stopped caring because he hated Petrino like this was, it was, it was, and the one that really, I think killed the whole evening was, I guess it was the last one, but Louisville comes out, starts the second half, impressive drive. They score, they get momentum. Miami scores first play that sucks. But then Louisville answers back. Like, like they, they get off the mat. They drive back down the field. They score, and you're thinking, okay, it's a game. Like, let's just play it right. And then for Miami on the very, very next play to have the exact same thing happen again, to have a wide receiver totally uncovered, that was the one where I felt like, you know, all the fans, even the team, kind of had their backs broken. And, it, it you know, it, it just it wasn't going to be our night after that moment. Malik Cunningham, again, he was good enough. I know he misses the the – touchdown pass, the wide open pass to Ian Pfeiffer in the first half, but he certainly was good enough in the second half to to win that game if the defense just plays well enough, but I, I don't know. I mean, I guess, how much heat do you bring on, do you put on Brian Brown? Because there's I, there's a part of me that says, look, our big issue defensively, or at least a big portion of the issue defensively, was the lack of continuity amongst the, the coaching staff. Having four new defensive coordinators in four new years to even be saying that you know there needs to be pressure on this guy seems to fly in the face of all that. That we need a guy to be here for multiple seasons and to really make his mark on the program and get his guys and all those other cliches. On the other hand, like, it's year two. You've got a lot. A lot of the guys that were on the field Saturday night were a lot of the guys that were on the field for major snaps last year. To not know what your assignment is, to not know that you're in charge of of holding the edge, not know that you need another cornerback on that side of the field when they've got three split outs. Um, it, like that stuff should be should be fixed. Like that 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 should not be the stuff that we're dealing with. And that does fall on the head of of the defensive coordinator. And Brian Brown. I'm not saying that he needs to be fired right now or that he needs to to pick it up or he's going to be fired at the end of the season but he deserves to be criticized I mean I don't think that that's too harsh am I wrong no I I I definitely agree I mean I was um I mean I sent you some texts
1: I was very upset with with Brian Brown after the game but I mean I you know from what you hear from national pundits around college football they they think this guy's an up-and-coming star um as far as Scott Satterfield with his coaching staff it seems like he's you know been great as far as hiring so far and who he's brought in so i'm still going to give brian brown and scott satterfield the benefit of the doubt um for this one again you know i know we're we're a little bit undermanned on defense we we need to get some recruits in there um but that can't happen again obviously um you know be able to set the edge that's something you do in grade school i think just about every grade school or high school coach knows that and to you know obviously we had that one getting our safety sucked in on the you know the run past play action there and then not being lined up um which i believe i, I saw a breakdown of that on twitter it looked like we had uh lovey jenkins there in there which was cool to see i'm glad that he's getting playing time because we're obviously struggling at the safety spot but he was actually the one that noticed the uh the busted coverage and was, was trying to get everyone else lined up and It was obviously too late when they they hit the long pass there. But, yeah, I mean, you definitely have to hold them accountable. Um, You know, we're going to face some some good offenses the rest of the year. So we'll see how we progress from here.
0: Yeah, I don't know exactly. I I know there have been some conflicting takes on who was to blame for the the three big busts, But I, I think it's safe to say. Isaiah Hayes had a rough night just overall, like just out of position. And then even when he was in position, not being able to make plays. And uh, I know he, he didn't play poorly against Western Kentucky, but that was a night that he'd like to forget. And he wasn't alone. It certainly wasn't all him, but yeah, it was just, it, it's, it, it's not a good look on national TV to have three plays where you're just legit, not touching the guy who winds up going to the end zone. And that's what happened to Louisville. Uh, right. on Saturday night. Um, and one more thing. And I'll, and,
1: Keith will probably be able to explain this better um, next time you have him on. But man, it just seemed like so much like uh, Miami, besides the penalties, I thought, looked well, coached. they were prepared for what we were going to run on third downs and on defense. Um, they attacked what I guess they thought was our weak spot, which was outside the boundary. A lot of screen passes. Um, you know, it, it seemed like we were playing way off in coverage and we didn't adjust at all. So Um, I got to give credit to Miami's coaching staff it looked like they were you know prepared and um, I mean they were they were better than I thought I thought King was really good and I I thought their field goal kicker was um, amazing as well so um, they're they're going to be a force to be reckoned with I think in the ACC
0: yeah the, the kicker just real quickly is that the greatest college kicker in the history of the <laughs> that, that was unbelievable.
1: I was like, <laughs> uh, the, the one was good from, like, at minimum, like, 65 yards.
0: First of all, like, he and the punter looked like they could just beat up anybody's middle linebackers. For the entire. Like, they look like the badass dudes from training day. Like, they are uh, just incredibly intimidating. And then he gets out there, and he hits a – I mean, I, I knew that – he was good because they talked about how good he was at FIU, but I didn't. I mean, I, I wasn't expecting him to just destroy a 57-yard. I mean, he put spin on the ball like from 57 out. It was it was uh, it was awfully impressive, and like that kind of set the tone right off the bat. Like when we thought we had a big stop, like I'm expecting the punt team to come out, and then he just comes out and drills that to make it a 20 to six game. Like they were they were real solid across the board. You mentioned the quick outs to the outside. I think that's something Louisville's going to have to get fixed because teams are going to continue to attack it. I know it's a big part of Clemson's offense, but you're seeing more and more teams run those quick outs to try and pick up, you know, just chunk yards because it's easier for a lot of those teams. If if you're going up against safeties that maybe aren't big or aren't great at tackling to get three or four yards on that play than it is to run for three or four yards up the gut. And Louisville, the middle of the defense actually played pretty well. Like they had spies on D'Eric King for most of the night. And King didn't hurt Louisville at all with his feet. He only rushed uh, eight times for nine yards, but it was really just his arm. He's really, really good. But if you wanted to point to something positive defensively, I thought they did a good job of not letting him, um, you know, extend plays or or on design runs, get loose and make plays in the open field. And really Miami on the ground didn't hurt Louisville at all. The only uh, reason Cameron Harris had the, Nine carries for 134 yards and a touchdown was that 75-yard touchdown run. Outside of that play, Louisville's rush defense was really good. But the secondary, secondary's got to get better. And I know we've been saying that for what feels like the last four years, but it, it's pretty obvious. You need dudes there who cannot not just cover deep, who can uh, you just know, prevent you from getting beat with a long ball, but who can step up and make tackles in the open field because the secondary's tackling was really poor against Western and it was even worse against Miami. So uh, clearly needs to be improved. Uh, we also, speaking of Western, they lose to Liberty at home. That's not good. Like, uh, yeah. that seems a little bit concerning.
1: That was part of the bad vibes early day
0: when we were like, all right, like
1: sports really aren't going away. We saw the Western score and then we saw the line for the Louisville-Miami game just do a complete 180. <laughs> and I was like, OK, maybe uh, maybe <laughs> Vegas knows something here. Um,
0: If we're looking at other positive things, I mean, Javion Hawkins. As good as advertised against a, a real physical Miami defense, uh, the little guy, uh, 27 carries, 164 yards, one touchdown. Had that fantastic 19 yard uh, touchdown run where he spun out of a couple of tackles. And that's the thing about him is when you see his size, when you see he's five foot nine, 165 pounds or whatever he is, you assume that he's just this you know elite guy who's gonna break big plays, but doesn't make a whole lot of you know, doesn't get a whole lot of yards after initial contact. And that's not true. He's really good at breaking tackles. I mean, again, if you're pointing to something positive, Malik's second half play was good, but I feel like Javian Hawkins, the biggest bright spot of Saturday night.
1: I, I completely agree. And he did it. Like you said, he, he was physical and Miami's a physical defense. He, he, he ran through the tackles, um, you know, he ran up the middle and then obviously his touchdown run where he was able to kind of spin out of trouble and bounce it outside was one of the more impressive runs that we've seen from him here. So, yeah, I mean, he's the total package where we're totally lucky to have him. And I, I honestly think and I think the coaching staff knows this. He's kind of the example. Um, I think that he, Scott wants the players to kind of take after is the heart he was showing there in the second half.
0: I did love that um, Kelly Dickey pointed this out a couple of months ago, with the NCAA saying that everybody who plays football this year is retaining a year of eligibility, like nobody's burning it because he, you know, he redshirted and then he played last year and he's playing. Like he still currently has four years of eligibility remaining. Like we could have J.B. and I don't think we're going to, but we could have J.B. and Hawkins through the uh, the twenty twenty three season if he wanted to stay here for a total of six years, but. He is awfully good. If he did say I think he'd break about every record that the school has. Hassan Hall, um, nine carries for 37 yards. He got dinged up. He's listed as day-to-day right now, and that's going to be a a pretty big blow because there's not a whole lot of experience behind those top two. As good as those two guys are in the backfield, Maurice Berkeley is – I mean, he's not really a, a game-breaker. He's played a little bit. Aiden Robbins got his first action, uh, at least with carries of the season, the manual high school product, two carries for six yards. We need on Hall better, not just for depth at running back, but also he's a help in, this, in the special teams uh, as well. But um, I guess if we're looking at other bright spots from Saturday night, Tutu Atwell. After a little bit of a quiet game against Western, he leads the receiving core, eight catches, 114 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Des had, had a good game as well, made a bunch of catches outside. The, the bummer was Ian Pfeiffer not just not getting that, that fourth touchdown catch early in the game, but when he finally did make a catch, he got stopped short. For the first time in his career, Ian Pfeiffer caught a pass that wasn't for a touchdown. And he got fucking destroyed. (laughs) That was, yeah, I thought for sure live that
1: was a a helmet to helmet. And then, like, you went back and looked and credit the guy. I mean, he was just an absolute monster and led with his shoulder. But, yeah, he uh, that was what you call a decletion there.
0: If you're going to see the touchdown streak end, like at, at least don't almost get killed in the process. Like at, at least make it like a, a cool catch or something like that. But instead uh, the the streak ends with just an absolute level. The uh, the only other thing that kind of I, I thought was interesting about this game, and I know it's it's so hokey and it's so like fan and it's so surface level, but I talked with Keith about it in the last pod and, and he kind of agreed with the, the notion Miami talked so much shit in this game. And I feel like (laughs) since Scott Satterfield got here, the two teams that we've played that have kind of been the, like the swaggiest, like the talk shit, who tried to kind of bully Louisville, have been Miami and Kentucky, and those have probably been now the three worst performances we've seen from Louisville against teams. Clemson's on a different level. Like, they don't do that stuff, but they're they're Clemson. Like, they're the number one team in the country. They're arguably the best football program going right now. But if we're talking about everybody else, the only teams that have kind of had that mentality against Louisville have been U.K. and Miami, and the results have been bad. Like, is this a thing where we need a little bit more... I don't know, like, like, like dogging us or we need some sort of some more enforcers. Or, I, 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 again, it sounds like such a terrible fan take, but maybe there's some legitimacy to it. Yeah, I mean, you could be right. Or, you know, it might just be that
1: those two teams were full of athletes and real good. Um, but, I mean, sure. it certainly didn't look like that we, I mean, I don't even want to say we didn't match their intensity. Because I, I, I thought besides, like, those coverage busts. Um, you know, we, we'd be in a dogfight with him. It'd be a good game. But just from how much they were talking and, um, you know, they had a couple late hits out of bounds. And yeah, I mean, obviously those are penalties, but sometimes those can be a good thing, you know, depending on the flow of the game. Um So I don't know. I think that's too, too early to tell. I think if we see it again, um then yeah, maybe it's something that we have to address. But I don't know if that's how Scott Satterfield wants his guys approaching games. You know, I'm not in the locker room, so I don't know what he thinks about that, but um, you know, as much as I hate it, you got to credit Miami. If if they're going to be loud and talk shit and, you know, they backed it up. So um, you got to tip your cap to them. Now, if they did that and got their ass handed to them, they'd look pretty stupid, but Uh, Yeah, we'll see going forward kind of because I that's a good point that you bring up because I noticed that how much they're barking on the sidelines. So um, going forward, we'll have to see if if there's a little bit more of an edge to Louisville when they come out, Um, maybe like not to pass Bobby Petrino, like just stupid shit talking levels. But, um, you know, maybe just something to fire the team up um, and try to match the intensity of the other the other team they're playing.
0: Yeah, Miami finished the game with 11 penalties for 89 yards. It felt like a lot more than that just because, well, I think most of those penalties happened when the game was still kind of in question, but they also were real visible, real stupid penalties, like like you said, late hits. Um, You know, roughing penalties on the field. You had the dude for the defense who, you know, flipped. I think it was Adonis Boone flipped his leg over. Um, Just real obvious, real dumb penalties. Manny Diaz uh, wanted to clean it up after the game. So to have all that happen and still to lose handily was tough. And then after the game, you've got the Miami players not leaving the field, kind of going at it with our guys. The coaches having to get involved. You had the um, the the kid who had the long touchdown run. Um, Harris, who threw the L's down right when he crossed the the end zone, like just all that shit just piled up, and it made me, uh, you know, dislike that program and their annoying fans even more. But at the same time, like you said, you're allowed to do that when you're you're taking it to the other team, and that's exactly what Miami did. The only other thing that I think warrants kind of discussion here, if we're being a little bit critical about what went down on Saturday night, the clock management. I, I didn't like what Louisville did at the end of both halves. Um, It goes back a little bit to – and I don't think you and I or Keith and I discussed this on either podcast last week. But at the end of the Western Kentucky game, like like running Mikael Cunningham and letting him take multiple shots with no time virtually left on the clock and a a two-score lead, I think was something that a lot of fans didn't really (laughs) understand and didn't like. And at the end of this half, Louisville's got the ball deep in its own territory at the end of the first half. Um, I mean you either go – you either – make an active attempt to try and put points on the board or you take a knee and Louisville did kind of the half measure deal, which uh, really annoys me. They ran plays, they ran a screen, they ran a a straight give and Hassan Hall, I think it was ended up fumbling in Miami. Miami returned that. I don't know if I would have made it back to the second half, but the end of the game is what concerned me a little bit more. Louisville gets down 13. They recover a great onside kick, uh, whoever the the place kicker did, did a fantastic job. And, they act like they're not down two scores. Like, we, we have a run play on first down. There's no urgency. There's no getting up to the line of scrimmage. Uh, Malik ends up fumbling. But just, like, what are we doing here? Like, like let's, let's at least play like we have an attempt to win the game. If you score quickly there and you get another onside kick, like, that's at least a shot to win. Let's not act like there's zero chance. I don't know if that bothered you as much as it bothered me. No, it totally did. Um, I had kind of given up on the game, and then when they
1: got the onside kick, of course, like it was some sort of glimmer of hope and it just like you said when they ran the run play I got so pissed off I was like what are we doing here um but yeah I I mean I don't know that the the end of the first half like you said you know the kind of the the tweener like you're either gonna in my opinion you should either take a knee and head to the locker room um or you know let's try to throw the ball downfield and make a play but obviously it almost led to a disaster, but yeah, I mean, we don't want McHale taking unnecessary shots for a couple of reasons. One, I mean, he's obviously proven he's one of the better quarterbacks in the ACC, but two through two games, we haven't got our backup quarterbacks um, any sort of time yet. I mean, Evan Conley hasn't played. Um, And correct me if I'm wrong, I guess Juwan passed.
0: Did he not dress this past game? I'm, um, I'm not sure, but, he didn't uh, this past game, and he is. I, I think uh, Satterfield said this week that he is going to be. I guess uh, he's dealing with some personal stuff, but he's going to be. He thinks he's going to be available this week. But even if he is, Evan is not listed as the primary backup quarterback.
1: Yeah, and I, I feel like it, 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 uh, through a couple games last year, you know, we had um, not only given, obviously. Jawan got some reps and then Mikel eventually took over, but we had gotten Evan Connolly some reps as well. So, um, you know, hopefully in these next couple games, I know Pitt obviously might not be one where you're able to get him some reps, but, um, we're probably going to need him at some point. It's hard for a quarterback to get to the year healthy, but, um, we don't need him taking unnecessary shots if he doesn't have
0: to, obviously. So, we're down right now. I think that the good thing about if you're a Louisville fan looking for a bounce back or looking for reasons to be optimistic moving forward with the season, Louisville was really good in bounce back opportunities last year. They didn't lose games on back to back weeks. They were some of the best football was played in the week immediately following a loss. And in fact, Scott Satterfield coach teams haven't lost consecutive games since all the way back in twenty seventeen. And it's a big deal because this week Louisville's going to play another ranked team. Uh, And I know Pitt probably wouldn't be ranked if we had Big Ten teams in the rankings and Pac-12 teams in the rankings or whatever, and and we wouldn't be either. But still, they're 21st in the country. They've got one of the best defenses in, in not just the ACC, but I think in the entire country. Paris Ford is an absolute stud and Louisville's an underdog. They're going up there, and Pitt is kind of treating this game the way that we treated last week's game. They've got these special black uniforms. They've been really hyping up the game. Their fans are, uh, I think, at least the the ones who cover the team, have been way more excited than Louisville fans have been this week, and it's that noon kind of sleepy, sneaky kickoff time. This is a kind of a – I know we're all still licking our wounds here. This is a pretty big game for Louisville if they want to wind up having the type of season – that so many uh, thought they were going to have going into it and that all of us obviously want them to have. I mean, this feels pretty important. Am I, am I just overhyping this? No, not at all. And I mean, I think the past couple of years,
1: Pitt hasn't had um, a ton to get too excited about. So for them to start out 2-0 and and do it in dominating fashion, I, I think this is kind of what they envisioned when they brought in Pat Narduzzi from Michigan State. And remember, Narduzzi was actually a candidate for Louisville the first go-round when Bobby Petrino came back for a second stint. I remember, I think that was the guy I really wanted because his defenses at Michigan State were were amazing at the time. And I was, uh, I mean, obviously at the time I was happy to get Petrino, but I thought Narduzzi would have been a good choice as well. Um, But obviously it looks like he's got the defense playing well right now um you know they have put up points the, the first couple weeks so we're gonna have our hands full we're gonna have to um obviously clean it up on defense and um make sure that we we play a clean game on the offensive end but it, it should be a good game i'm really looking forward to it
0: all right do we have a uh a dan in the dump story for this week or is, is saturday night's game sufficient
1: well what's funny is you talked about how all the sports on saturday just went down the shitter like immediately well, it actually, like, didn't really start happening till like, almost at, like, 3 o'clock. Like, Western lost. And I was like, ooh, that's kind of a weird score. And Patrick Reed was even through 9. Um, well, then my phone died. And we were out on the boat in the middle of the lake. And the guy that was driving our boat couldn't get it started. It was our friend Mark. <laughs> um, and <laughs> so we literally, we thought, like, the uh, the engine flooded or, or something. It was a boat that we rented. And we just drifted out in the lake for a good like hour waiting on someone to come like uh you know, tug us in and my phone was dead. I was like, God, I mean I wanna get back for the game. What the hell is going on here? Well it turns out our, our buddy Mark, not to throw him too much under the bus because it wasn't his boat, there was just, like a little like start button like that he hadn't that he had accidentally like pushed off um that it was just a flick of the button that's all it was where we could get the boat started again so we had like 12 kids on this big houseboat to where you know they're crying wanting to get wanting to get back there and like finally like the guy comes out and just presses a button he's like there you go man i was like oh well that's it so then we then like i get back and i like charge my phone turn on the tv patrick reed is plus eight on the back nine i was like what the hell's going on and um, then obviously, with, you know, the Louisville game started in that fiasco. So, yeah, uh, obviously, but um, we uh, I'm not a big like experienced boat driver, but um, I'm going <laughs> to pin that on my friend a little bit.
0: The the one button push fix, I feel like is what happens every time I have to call in a professional for anything like it's I go out of my way. We've had problems our Heating and air conditioning unit is super old, so we've had problems since we've moved in. I will spend like 10 hours watching YouTube videos or trying to fix something just to try and avoid having to call. Shout out to Weber Heating and Air Conditioning because they always come over uh, and get it fixed because I know that like, – I'll, I'll do all the steps. I'll, I'll look at everything, and I know when I call this guy, he's going to come in and fi- in five seconds have it fixed, and it's exactly what happens every time. It's so obnoxious, but shout out to Mark. <laughs> that-
1: yeah. Uh, yep. I mean – Obviously, uh, me and and you, when it comes to, like, being handy or, like, fixing stuff, probably not going to be, like, the guys, like, on a YouTube channel where you watch, like, a video of, like, how good they do it. We're, like, near the bottom of uh, being, like, handyman fix-it guys. But, yeah, the boat thing, um, obviously, a a little bit of an embarrassing moment. All
0: right. So, we got – sorry, I'm having a cough (laughs) attack
1: it's like are we
0: still alive are we live here we're gonna cut it we're we're, we're done podcast is over we got (laughs) Louisville and Pitt coming up on Saturday I'm gonna have Keith on at some point in the next couple of days to preview that but uh Dan any parting thoughts or do you just want to get cut off saying go cards
1: yeah no let's let's get the let's get the W on Saturday get some good vibes going back um through the program through the fan base and uh yeah let's just come out firing Saturday
0: All right, new pod coming later this
2: week. Until we talk to you then, go Cards. Go Cards.